Hey, this is Jeff Pilson, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Enjoy. Hey, Metalheads, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to episode 250 of Focus on Metal. Holy crap, can you believe it? We made it up to episode 250. Back in the day when we started this thing, I never thought we'd get to this point, but here we are, 250. And I don't think we could ever make it this far without some great friends and supporters and, of course, all of our awesome listeners. So in keeping with that spirit, I just kind of want to pay things forward and just uh, turn your attention to a site that is just starting out. I talked to him once before, and I'm going to just put it in your ear holes again, and I'm talking about earpeeler.com. It's a great site. I urge you to check it out if you're interested in podcasts, whether they're video podcasts, audio podcasts, or reviews. Definitely head over to earpeeler.com. It's a great site. You can explore. You'll probably discover some great new shows you didn't know were out there. The site is super easy to use, and uh, you'll feel like as soon as you get on the site that you've been there a million times before, just ease yourself right into it. Like I said, great place to visit and keep up with all the podcasts you're already listening to, as well as all the ones you've yet to discover. And of course, almost all of our friends are up there on earpeeler.com, including Iron City Rocks and Mars Attacks and the Decibel Geek podcast, as well as a lot of the biggies up there too, like the Jamie Jastis podcast. So again, be sure to turn your browser to earpeeler.com and prepare to revel in some great new music podcast, as well as all of your favorite hard rock rock and heavy metal podcasts. And while you're there, do yourself a favor. Visit the store page as well and uh, help support earpeeler.com. Get a lot of the albums you were going to order from Amazon anyways and pass along a little bit of cash to our podcasting brother. So with that, let's dive into episode 250. And I told Richie I was going to keep this intro short and sweet, and that is still my intention. As you know, one of the things we like to do from time to time here on Focus on Metal is to do career retrospectives, bring in either a band or an artist and go through their whole career and that's what you're doing here on episode 250 way back in march of this year we had talked to bass player producer and all-around friend of the show jeff pilson all about his career and we have kept that audio securely locked away here in the vaults at focus on metal why so long why hold that for so freaking long well way back when we did the interview I was really kind of thinking in my mind that either episode 200 or episode 250 would be a perfect spot to run the Jeff Pilson retrospective. And uh, here we are, we're at 250, and I had one of two choices. Either I was going to run Jeff Pilson or Richie and I were going to get together and finally do the next segment of our Saxon series. So we weren't unable to get together and do our Saxon talk for episode 250, but that's okay because all along I had this nice backup to run this interview with Jeff Pilson. So that's it. I've got no more intro to go for this week. As I said, this is Jeff Pilson. We talked to him back in March, talking all about his entire career from when he started right up until today with Foreigner. Lots of good stuff here, and uh, we hope that you enjoy it. This is your life, 
an American television tradition. In our quest to bring some of the uh, great characters from rock and metal and uh, a lot of the ones we've had on recently doing career retrospectives, everyone's really liked. And we definitely wanted to talk to this guy again, and that would be the one and only Jeff Pilsen. How are we doing tonight, Jeff? Uh, doing great. Awesome. So uh, before we dig into your past, let's talk about what you're doing right now. So uh, what's on the table these days for, for Jeff Pilsen? <laughs> Well, other than lots of touring with Foreigner, uh, <laughs> Foreigner just came out with a uh, a CD called Best of Foreigner, Foreign More, mm. uh, getting a great response on that. <clears throat> Real happy about that. I'm working on a, a, DV, a live DVD that uh, Foreigner is going to come out with. Not exactly sure when, but relatively soon. It's a live show that we did. Well, we also covered some uh, some foreign form material, hmm. uh, so that that's going to be great. Uh, we we also have a pay per view concert coming out fairly soon, and that's uh, that's been in the works. Then, other than that, I've got some production stuff going on. I've been doing the uh, I've been working with the, the Last in Line, which is you know the original Dio band, right. Vivian Campbell, Vinny Apsey, Jimmy Bain, Claude Schnell, and uh, a singer by the name of Andrew Freeman. And that is, we're, we're, we finished recording now and we're, uh, we're in the mixing stages of that. And that is just an amazing record. It's going to floor people. It's awesome. absolutely going to floor them. Uh, so we're very, very excited. I'm, I'm really excited about that. I, it's probably not going to come out till next year because they'd like it to come out at a point when they could do some touring around it. And, you know, Vivian is very busy with Leopard this year. So the plan is to try and have it come out next year, but the label that's doing it, Frontiers, is extremely excited. And all I can tell you is, wait till you hear this music. It's absolutely insane. Awesome. I totally love it. Uh, other than that. that, I'm also uh, doing some work with uh, Adler again. We're, uh, we, we're, um, he, Stephen wants to re-release the record that they did a couple years ago. And so we, we're adding a couple new songs to it. And um, that's been really fun because, uh, you know, that's, that's a labor of love for me. Um, so just I'm keeping ridiculously busy, but uh, enjoying the music nonetheless. I knew you'd have like eight million things you were doing as well, which is great. And and you know, it's I think people should understand too that you know you're not just the bass player, but you do so much, you know, behind the scenes with production and stuff like that. And you're still the MD for Foreigner as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a job. And and I've you know I've talked to a lot of people and 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 they ask you know well, you know exactly what it is that, that jeff does and and i point him to a few of the songs that i can really say like that's got the jeff pilson touch on it like like the new arrangement you did for uh for say you will i mean you listen to that and you instantly go yep jeff had his hands in that one it just it has you all over it <laughs> yes that's that's one of the ones i did yes yeah it's it's definitely uh it's it's cool it's a good way for me to get people to understand exactly what the musical director does and an arranger and stuff and they they hear that and it's like oh okay i i, I kind of get it now so uh kind yeah, of a, well, a key thing. i'm always out to teach people it's always good <laughs> yeah jeff, jeff i want to ask you a question about last in line um how do sounding does is, is it because it's been a long time since those guys played together and actually wrote. Um, right. One of the things I'm looking forward to actually is hearing Vivian like shred again. Yeah, which you will hear, and it's it's awesome. He's he's better than ever. Yeah. And um, to answer your question, it's it's very Dio. Um, it's you know they they didn't try not to be at all. They let themselves just do what they do naturally. So it's it's pretty pretty much deal like it's it could be very you know it could well be a modern deal record there's some little modern elements in it occasionally just because you know it, it is now as opposed to then mm -hmm. um but as a rule it is um 
it's very, very true to what they did. And um, it's, it's, I think it's perfect because what, you know, they, they played live. They, the, the rhythm tracks were cut live. And so, you know, there's no click track. There's none of that crap. It's all very old school done. Um, so it's got this awesome feel to it. And then, you know, there was overdubs added, of course, but not many. Not many at all. So it's it's pretty raw. It's pretty much the band right there in your face. And and I love that about it. Um and and the material is it I mean, it could be the modern DO record. I mean if, if Ronnie was still alive and he were singing on it, um I think he'd be really comfortable putting his vocals to the record, which I'm sure would be different than what we've got. Um but Andrew did an amazing job. I mean, an amazing job because those are not easy shoes to fill. Let's no, face it, no. you know, and the expectations going in, and and I'm really happy because it's not Dio clone, mm-hmm. it's Dio inspired. Um, but actually, sometimes his voice reminds me a little more of Glenn Hughes than Ronnie's. Oh. So it's kind of an interesting take. It's like having this other sort of element in the Dio formula that is. It's awesome, and it just takes it to another level, and it's 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 amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm so proud of this record; it's ridiculous. Yeah, we spoke to Vinny about a year and a half ago, but we did a project of you're aware about Strange Highways. Sure, uh, and sure. Um, Vinny was out with Kill Devil Hill at the time, but he was also playing with The Last in Line, and he was so right, right. psyched to be out playing with with those with those guys again. It really yeah. came across yeah. in the way he was talking to us. Mm. Sure, well, way to hear them. I mean, they. They're, they're stronger than ever. It's just, it's bizarre. You know, a lot of times when bands do come together years later, there's something not quite there about it, but mm-hmm. this is not that at all. It's, it's, if anything, stronger and more of a, more of a bond. And, and I mean, the, the mind reading that's going on when they're playing is just phenomenal. And, you know, sitting in a room when those guys are playing, it's so intense. I can't even tell you. Yeah. yeah. I am stoked to hear this one. Yeah.
So let's go in the Wayback Machine here and talk about uh, your early relationship with Mike Varney. I don't know if a lot of people know about that and, and that you were working with Mike. How did that all come about? Well, it came about because I moved down to Marin County um, right after my year after high school, right mm-hmm. after I graduated high school. I moved down to Marin and, and I found a band down there and I joined the band and, and they were friends with Mike who was who was just, you know, another guy straight out of high school who, you know, loved music and played guitar and, uh, but more was, more was just kind of a guy that people knew. Um, cause he's, he's such a personality, you know, right. such a colorful personality. So we got to be friends then. Then when I moved back to, to, to California a couple of years later, Mike had already been, you know, he had already played with the nuns, you know, the, the punk band down there and may had made quite a name for himself as a player. And, uh, so we got together and he was involved with, with Marty Baum from the starship doing, uh, doing this rock opera called rock justice. Mm-hmm. And, um, so they brought me into that and, and I was, you know, the, the singer on the project and, um, we recorded a demo with Leonard Hayes from YNT playing drums and started getting a lot of attention from, from record labels. And it basically led to doing the rock justice record, which, by then, things had kind of fallen apart, unfortunately, and the record didn't come out as strong as, frankly, as, as the demos had, um, which, you know, it's kind of like, well, why didn't we just release the demos? <laughs> that was back in the days when, well, you don't release demos, you have to put out the record, you know, you have to do it again for the record. Uh, you know, nowadays, we would have just released the demos. <laughs> I don't know why we didn't do it then, but anyway... Um, so it, it kind of fell apart. But, um, but Mike and I were very, very close throughout, and we had a band called Cinema, and uh, we worked on that for, for a while, and then I ended up moving to Los Angeles, and so that kind of went away. But, but Mike and I stayed in contact, and, and by this point, Mike had become a, a writer with guitar player and was kind of known as the guy that could find people for bands and bands for people, you know? Um, and uh, as it turns out, when I moved to Los Angeles, Don Dockham had called Mike and said, hey, you know, of any singing bass players? And he goes, wow, funny, I, you know, one just moved down there. So that's how I got connected with Doc and was through Mike. Wow. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's just, it's, it's such a small world sometimes that it's hard to believe. But, yeah, Mike, I, I, I love Mike Barney and always have. He's just an amazing person and uh, way better player than people realize. I mean, he can, he can play guitar. Yeah. Yeah, so so Jeff, tell me what did you play when you auditioned for Dokken? What songs what can, you, can you can you remember? Like, did you jam or did they actually send you material? Well, you know what happened is we we set up in this this little room, and I couldn't even tell you which songs we played. I mean, they had sent me the first record, mm. and I, you know because they had recorded that in Germany like a year before that, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I I pretty much learned that record. And I couldn't tell you what songs we did because we only we played for about four songs. We did some jamming too, you know, just out and out jamming, which is when I realized how good George and Mick were. I did. I I got to admit when I first heard the record that I didn't notice them as much. Uh, and then when I when I started playing with them, the minute we started playing, I was like, wow, these guys are really good, and I really like these guys a lot. Um, but we played for about twenty minutes, and then the, the power we blew the power in the place. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, they said, well, so you want the gate? <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the songwriting thing, like, did um, did you push yourself into that, or like, because you said well, they were looking for they were looking for a, a bass player, singer, not necessarily a songwriter, were they? Well, yeah, they never. Well, I gotta say though, from the minute I joined, they were really cool about that. Um, you know, it's funny as as much ego as always as as associated with Dokken as a band. Um, 
they really didn't. I mean, he, they were really cool from minute one about writing. And in fact, when I met with Cliff Bernstein, who was managing the band at the time, when they, you know, they told him, well, we've got this new guy. So, so I met with him. And his, the first thing, practically the first thing he said was, you know, uh, we, we really encourage you to write because I had given them some demos of the stuff that I had done with Randy Hansen. And so they had heard some of my writing and they encouraged it. They said, no, no, please, please write. So really from day one, we started writing and, and, you know, I, I've told this story before the day, the first time George ever came to my apartment, <laughs> um, well, uh, when he was sober, I should say, because the first <laughs> night that we met, he, he came to our apartment. He probably doesn't remember it because he passed out from my front lawn. But <laughs> <laughs> Friends for but, life, um, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but the first time he came to my apartment, he literally walked in the door, saw my guitar stand, he was sitting in a, in a guitar stand. He picked up and we started writing right away. I mean, <laughs> that's not an exaggeration. The minute he walks me into my apartment the very first time. So <clears throat> George and I's chemistry has always been there. And like I say, they, there was never any, uh, never any like, hey, you know, you know, we write the songs and you're just a bass player. There's never any of that. They were really cool about it. And I think that people really go back and listen too. they, you know, there's your stamp on so many songs too. either, you know, if you go back and you listen to like, one of my favorite releases is the one you did, the Lynch Pilsen release with George. You listen to that and then go back and listen to, to the doc and stuff. You can just see that songwriting, either just you alone or that you and George together's influence on songs. And it's, I think it was uh -huh. uh, such an amazing part of Docking that, that uh, I don't think people fully well, And again, they were, they were always encouraging that. They wanted, you know, they always wanted to grow musically. And <clears throat> I mean, I sure, sure as heck learned a lot from them. And you know they wanted to learn from me too, so it was it was really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, Jeff, we when we spoke to you a couple of years ago in person, and you were saying that there was factions in the band from day one. Okay, so I just want to ask about does the Don does the Don and George thing has been brought up for a long time? Um, were their personalities very very similar that they didn't get on, or were they just polar opposite? Um, I would say in some ways they're polar opposite. Okay. Um, they, they come, you know, they're, they're just different, different, uh, demeanor, different, um, kind of philosophy on life, if you will. Uh, in some ways, I mean, there's, they're both similar in that, um, they, they, they sort you know, they, they have, they both have egos, let's say, let's say it like that, I guess. Um, but <clears throat> you know, I, I think it more has to do with just a difference in, philosophy and just difference in kind of person that they are that caused a lot of their attention. And, you know, um, yeah, I, I guess that's the most accurate way I can say. It. I mean, it's, you know, kind of a complicated thing to try and describe over the <laughs> telephone, but you know, yeah, yeah that's, that's a, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a question I want to dwell on for the whole interview, but I, I figured I'd just ask it up front straight, yeah. you know, early on. Sure, so sure. as far as Mick Brown, I mean, you guys were just an incredible rhythm section. Was that something that, that kind of you guys were able to get that bass player, drummer bond going uh, pretty early on? Uh, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we, we, uh, sure. We were, we set out to do that, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I mean, again, that's where I, I learned a lot from Mick. Uh, really did about, you know, playing big rock and, you know, even though he hadn't played big places either, but he, he had a real good instinct about the music and, and, you know, as far as working out parts and working out how we work together, uh, I learned a lot from Mick on that and we had a lot to offer each other, I think. And, 
And um, we were both real dedicated. We were both very consistent. And we were both very um, very much into just making the groove right. Hmm. <clears throat> and that's that's something I I really, really, really came to love. And, and working with Dokken is what, what got me to love that. It's just working with the groove. Because George and Mick are both really, really groove guys. Yeah. And and we and that's that's what really turned it into something magical. When when that starts happening, that's 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 the magic. Right. Yeah. Just you know, because also you know, you guys progress fairly quickly into these bigger and bigger stages, and you know, you're physically separated from the drummer, and you're also handing a lot of vocals and stuff like that. And you know, it's not like you and Mick had a, a lot of you know ability to have this eye to eye contact and what you were going to do. But but live, it's like you guys always seem to keep it together. And it's you know, yeah. when I was playing bass, one of the things I really loved was it was almost like this psychic bond I had with with the drummer that. Uh -huh. We didn't even right. have to look each, at each other, and pe we used to yeah. weird people out. Like, how did you know yeah. he was going to do that? Yeah, it's called feel. You mm. feel it rather than think it or see it or whatever. It's you know, you feel it, and when you learn to feel it together, it's that's when a match uh, rhythm section becomes magical. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Jeff, do you have fond memories of uh, recording the, the Tooth and Nail record? Was that a tough record to do? That I do. Uh, not, not by Dawkins, you understand? <laughs> no, um, no, actually, that was a pretty, pretty pleasant record to record. It was a lot of fun. And it was a big, gigantic learning experience. The engineer who recorded that record, Jeff Workman, who has since passed away, unfortunately, but he and I bonded real, real close on that record. And every night I would stay late and we'd talk and he'd, Tell me, I mean, you know, this guy had done Queen records and The Cars and Journey and, you know, he's all these bands, Toto, Florida. He'd done a Florida record, about, ironically enough. Um, and, and, you know, he would tell me all these wonderful stories. And, you know, he, he used to keep a cassette machine going in the studio when bands were recording. So he had hours and hours and hours of recordings of these great bands in the studio. And he'd play them for me and we'd sit there and talk about it and, it was just amazing. It was a tremendous learning experience. And um, so, yeah, it was a lot of fun. For me, that was probably the most fun Dokken record in, in many ways. And, you know, there was, uh, and, you know, they were, the band was really cool. I mean, they, they kind of gave me a lot of response. Being a new guy, I didn't feel like it. They gave me a lot of right, responsibility right away. And um, <clears throat> like I say, tremendous learning experience. Great time. I mean, you know, recording the rhythm tracks was a blast. Uh, we, you know, a lot of laughs, a lot of fun. Um, and so, yeah, I have very fond memories of that record. <laughs>
Yeah, now the, the next record under lock and key, you went with uh, Neil Kernan. Any particular reason you picked him to produce your album? Well, we get Neil and Michael. Neil Kernan and Michael. Um, well, we knew Michael. We knew Michael was, was great. I mean, you know, Michael had mixed Breaking the Chains and, and ended up mixing Tooth and Nail um, <clears throat> after uh, the initial, after Jeff Workman got fired, which is a long story. But, um, but Michael, you know, Michael's great. Michael's one of the most talented engineers in the world. And um, so he was a no-brainer, and he was real familiar with the project. But we also wanted to bring in somebody who um, was very song-oriented, which Neil is. Um, you know, Neil had worked with that band Autographs and had done that huge hit that they had turned on the radio, and and uh, he had worked with Hall and Oates and Michael Bolton and some interesting people. But he was he was very much a song guy, really really great with song stuff. And so we wanted to have both sides and, and Michael and Neil worked tremendous together. They did fabulous together. Um, it was really a, really a special relationship. Um, so we had a lot of fun on that record. That was, that was a great record too. That was a very, I mean, a lot of fun memories. Things were getting a little more intense at that point, but, but it was still, still very musically fun. And, um, the people around us were all, you know, very supportive and excited at that point. And the band hadn't quite fallen apart uh, like it would. Mm. Um, but, you know, it was still, I mean, we, we had pre-production rehearsals where everybody was there and chipping in and, you know, songs were being carved together in great ways. It was it was still a very, very productive, positive time for us. I'm sure, though, that uh, the, the one thing you look back in, on that record is the cringeworthy thing, right? Is it the costumes on the cover? Of course. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you still have it, Jeff? Uh, I don't. I, I gave it to, like, some... Some place like it's not a hard rock, but it's some kind of restaurant like that somewhere. I think actually might even be like in northern Michigan or something. I, I don't even remember where, but I gave it away years ago. It's okay. I've had spandex in my past and bands too, so uh, equally guilty, Jeff. So <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder who thought that was a good idea. <laughs> I think that's what everybody thinks. But I, when I bought the album, it was like, oh, please don't let the inside be like this. And I was like pleasantly surprised that it definitely wasn't. It was great classic doc. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the next record, Back for the Attack, I remember when that came out, um, it was over an hour long, which was unusual at the time. Um, mm -hmm. did, did, do you, like, did you actually write over an hour's music or did the record company say, look, we need an hour's music, we're going to... I think the CD was just about to break at the time. It was, it was a very, very long record. Well, we, we did have the material. I mean, that wasn't a, a big problem. Um, but, you know, it, it was actually our manager, uh, Cliff Bernstein, he wanted us to, and for a minute there, we had the world's record of the longest record of all time. And then I think Metallica broke it again on and Justice for All or something. Yeah. But, but uh, whom he also managed, of course. Um, so he was he was into us having a long record. He felt like a long record is you know giving people value and and everything else. Um, I, I personally have come to believe that that's not as true as quality. I think quality is way above quantity. I think when there's too much material on a record, it tends to get lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, uh, so that, that was, so that's my opinion. But, um, but, uh, yeah, he was all about having a long record. You know, we had the material, so why not? I mean, I, I would say some of the material is not our best, but there's a lot of good stuff on there too. Yeah. I think George is playing on that is incredible. Solo yeah, well, he fantastic. was very, very dialed in, and and that was one of the great things about working with Neil Kernan on that record is Neil was was very helpful in getting a lot of that. Yeah, so the big tour, of course, you went on after that was the the Monsters of Rock tour, 
with uh, Van Hill and the Scorpions, yeah. Kingdom Come. Do you, what are your mm-hmm. memories of that tour? Did, did, you, did you have a good time on that tour? Well, I still drank back then, so the memories are a little fuzzy. <laughs> but um, but uh, it was, you know what? It was a big rolling party. I remember the after show stuff way more than I remember the shows. <laughs> <laughs> the the band, I've, I've seen clips. The band was not at our best on that tour. We were okay, but we weren't at our best. Um, but uh, the, the rolling party factor was just great. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, usually... We could only have do two like two shows in a row, and then it'd take a couple of days to go set up the gear somewhere else because it was such a production. So, you know, there's a lot of time spent in the hotel room bars, you know, earning, you know, uh, chalking up gigantic tabs. Cause, <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, five bands oftentimes staying at the same hotel. It was crazy. It was the '80s at its best. You know, kind of that decadent yeah. '80s thing to the extreme. So when when on that tour did something blow up that you knew it was the point in no return with the band? That that was it, it was over. Well kind of the whole tour because really the, the bombshell had dropped uh initially uh on Halloween of eighty seven while we were out with Aerosmith. Didn't is when Don announced that, you know, he told us, you know, I'm I'm gonna leave the band. Hmm. And we were like, What? Because it just seemed like the wrong time. We were actually, it, the, the strange thing is we'd been out with Aerosmith for several weeks at that point. Mm-hmm. We were actually getting along great. Yeah. Was that the uh, Providence Civic Center show? Yes. I was at that show. That's right. You guys played a great yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, we, we did. But and then afterwards, we had some interesting news. <laughs> um, so I, that was when it was first dropped, but it was, it was put on a back burner for a while. Mm. But what happened is after that, because I've seen, I've seen, uh, you know, video stuff of us from that tour and we were good back then that was that was you know the best we ever were i mean don was singing great every night george playing great Mm. it was really good um but the morale started to go downhill fast and after aerosmith we ended up going to europe for a while which really brought down the morale and um we just and during the course of the european tour things just got really sour between everybody and by the time we got back, we did go to Japan, which was great. And during during the time in Japan, it was kind of a reprieve from all the bad feelings. And we did record what became the Beast from the East record there. Mm. Um, but then when we went back to the States, we had a little time off. And then we started in on uh, Monsters of Rock. And by then, the morale had just, it was just to nothing. <laughs> so um, it was just kind of an ugly feeling between the band on that tour. Yeah. Um, and so... The last night of the tour was in Denver, Colorado, and that's when, you know, the big record company honchos and the management people and the accountants and everybody flew in. Everybody flew in on their little private jets to to Denver, and uh, we had this meeting in um, a hotel overlooking Mile High Stadium, uh, and we were in the conference room on the top floor, over watching Van Halen on stage. We could see them on stage from the conference room, and that's where we basically carved up breaking up, mm-hmm. and. Um, that was, like I said, that was end of the summer of 88. Wow. Yeah, so, like, how long did it take you to, to plan something after that? Or did, like, like you know, did you to spend a couple of weeks getting over it and then plan something? Or did you wake up the next day knowing it was over and you got on with it? Well, honestly, I, I had known, I had assumed it was going to be over for a long time. And I had been working on my Flesh and Blood band for, for a while with, with Michael Diamond. Um, and the original plan was to get... Um, to get George and Mick and Michael Diamond playing bass and me singing. That was the original plan. 
and we had talked about it a lot. Um, and that's what I assumed we were going to do. Then when we went home after Monsters of Rock, uh, everybody kind of, you know, went into hibernation. Um, and I couldn't get in touch with George and Mick for forever, for a long time. Mm. And during that point, I got really, really restless. And that's when I called Vinny Apice and Randy Hansen. And we went in and recorded what became, ended up becoming the, the Warner Peace uh, the flesh, flesh and Blood sections record, mm-hmm. uh, but this was this was this was done in uh, uh, late '88. Actually, it's when it was recorded. excited about that and then when finally George and I reconnected I had already kind of committed to that which was unfortunate because then it took forever for that to get off the ground because we waited for Vinny for over a year before we left D.O. and just all sorts of you know silly when I look back on it it's like wow just not thinking very clearly but but um, but whatever I was at that point very intent on having my own band and singing and all that. Yeah, so Jeff, can I ask you about uh, Wild Horses? Was that the band with James Kotak? Yes. Okay, because we spoke to James about two weeks ago, and uh, I asked him a question about a band going in with 20 songs and the producer turning them all down, and he said that happened with Wild Horses. Do you remember that? It was Keith Olsen. Um, no, because I think by the time I got involved with that, uh, the material was pretty much put together. Actually, when I, by the time I got in to actually record, they had a whole uh, a whole other singer, and Johnny Edwards, the original singer, uh, far, <laughs> ended far up joining Florida. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How small a world is that? Um, so, um, and by that time, I think the material was together. I, 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 like I say, I wasn't around for the writing process of that whole thing, and. So I never witnessed that. I know Keith is a stickler about material, so I, I, I believe it, but I, I didn't actually witness it. Yeah, and he also played with James on the, the MSG record with, uh, I think Kevin, oh, yeah. Kevin Beamish played, produced that, I believe. 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, James and I played during that period of a couple of years ago. We must have played on like 15 or 20 records together because we did everything Keith Olsen did for a while there. Um, and um, just lots and lots and lots of sessions. And it was great, too, because the studio was only a few blocks from my house. It was awesome. Um, but, yeah, we did, we did do the MSG record. And, and uh, then I ended up touring it later on when it was uh, an acoustic tour. So I didn't tour with James. But, yeah, we recorded that record together, which, wow, what a blast that was. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good album. I really wish that they would have recorded a bunch of the jams that we had because Michael and James and I would just start jamming. And, you know, that was before the days when you always had a recorder going, which is beyond beyond comprehension to me now. But you know, we had some jams that were just great. And Michael was just playing on fire. And, you know, he was in a very clear headspace. And that was really good. Um, so I wish they would have recorded some of that. That would have been cool. But yeah, the record came on great. Yeah. I love Robin McCauley. Robin McCauley is just such a top of the line musician and great singer and great human being. And yeah. Yeah, he's doing that Rating the Rock Vault now in Vegas. He sure is, yeah. yeah. He's awesome in it. Yeah, so like we've talked to you a lot about Strange Highways in the, in the past, and I just want to ask you, have you seen the video or heard the, the CD that the, of the Hammersmith Odeon show? That they did. I've seen snippets of the of the show, yes. Okay, and did you know actually that they recorded it at the time, or and it never came out? Or? I might have, but I honestly didn't remember it. Okay. <laughs> I honestly <laughs> didn't. I think I would have known at the time. I mean, obviously, we, you know, we had cameras backstage, so we knew that there was cameras going on. Um, but I just didn't remember it at all. Uh, yeah, because when we talked to Mike Tramp about it, and we said, "Yeah, Mike, there's there's actually a video coming out of that show," and and he was like. 
Really? I don't even remember cameras being there at all. He was shocked that about the show, but he was excited to be able to see it again. But yeah, he, like you, he doesn't even ever remember it actually being recorded. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been a good tour. Not, um, were they definitely on us on the show in uh, yeah. in the UK? Yep, they were. Yeah, freaking yeah. nature. Yeah, oh, yeah uh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so. I remember. I remember them being there on on all on the rest of Europe. I didn't remember the UK, but anyway. Yeah. So, so how did you get back? How did the docking reunion come come about? I know it was a, it was supposed to be, it was supposed to be like you, Don, and and Mick originally, wasn't it? Well, I mean, there's a bunch of things going on. When when uh, when my band War and Peace broke up, which was early '92, um, uh, Don. Kind of coincidentally, yeah, he probably heard that my band broke up. I'm guessing, but whatever. <laughs> uh, but he called me up and he said, "Hey, um, what do you think about writing?" And I said, "Absolutely, let's do it." So we started writing, and you know what? Our chemistry was great right away. Um, and so for the next several months, Don and I did, wrote essentially most of what became the dysfunctional record. And um, for several months, there we were working and doing a lot of stuff, and it was. It was very cool, and I and I didn't really think of it in terms of being DACA at that point. I you thought, hey, well, maybe it'll be a Don Solo record. Who knows? It was it was just it was good, and it was you know we were writing and and the chemistry was good, so you know wasn't going to really question it. Then Mick got involved when the Lynch Mob broke up, <clears throat> and I think this might be really early '93. Um, the Lynch Mob broke up, so Mick came out, and we started working together with him. So now we're thinking, oh wow, what is this now? And uh, so it kind of kept on in that direction, and then then I left to join Dio uh, because because it was clear it wasn't going to be a docking reunion at that point, and I was I was really torn. I didn't like the idea of being in another band um, that with those guys that wasn't docking. I don't know why I had that as my mindset because I ended up doing that a few years later. Yeah. <laughs> but um but uh it, it was like, no, no, it's just it just didn't feel like the right thing. And joining Dio did feel like the right thing. So and I'm glad I did. I think it was I mean it was a, a career highlight for me and a real special time in my life. Um but anyway, so I I left to join Dio and they were upset for a while. But then then basically in that time the Japanese had put on a lot of pressure on on us for docking to get back together. And there was a guy that we worked with in Japan who did a lot of <clears throat> coordinating for us. His name was Aki Morishita. Great guy. Love him. And he kind of was instrumental in getting George to agree to want to, you know, do a reunion. So sometime towards the end of 94, uh, we, you know, kind of talked about it, hashed it all out. And, and that's when we, the first thing we did was we recorded the One Live Night record, the acoustic thing which I thought was a very clever, this is all Don's idea too. I thought it was a very clever way to get back together and do something a little bit different. And, and it felt great. And, you know, I mean, I still to this day love acoustic shows and that was really kind of the beginning of it for me was, was that whole thing. And, um, so, you know, we got back together in 90, like I said, at the end of 94 and then George essentially went in and recut the guitars on what became the dysfunctional record. And, um, you know, but I don't think I, I don't remember doing any of my parts over. I think we pretty much kept it the way it was, uh, except we did end up recutting some songs later on when it went to, uh, Sony. But, uh, yeah, by, by early 95, we were back together 
Yeah, I've often wondered why there's two versions of that record. There's one with Michael Wagner producing it, and then there's the one that's more right. available with Don doing it. And I think right. Uh, well, the Michael Wagner version, he cut the original version of the original um, stuff. You know, the, the drums and everything else. Um, well, some of some of it was stuff that we, Don and I, had just recorded on our own. It's kind of a, a hodgepodge. But, but Michael then mixed it after George put his guitars on, and he mixed it, and it was done. Uh, but then when Sony, uh, when Sony got the, got got a hold of the chunk longer, um, his feeling was is that it was too raw the way it was, and that we needed some material. Um, and so that's why we cut uh, the Emerson and Palmer song, and we did. We wrote another song called "Holding My Head." Brilliant song. And Brilliant song. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. And um, and so we we cut those from scratch. Which and it's you know I mean honestly, part of me thinks that <clears throat> in some ways it would have been better had we just started from scratch and recorded a whole new record and wrote together and the whole thing because George, except for except for I think maybe "Holding My Head," but. You know, George really wasn't involved in the writing of that record, and having a doctor record without George being involved in the writing is kind of weird. Um, so why we didn't do that, I, I think it's just, well, for one thing, Collider really liked the material as it was. He he had been, you know, following what Don and I had been doing the whole previous year anyways, and he uh, he was very much into the material. You know, he, he did think that the record came out too raw when Michael mixed it, and he did think we needed more. Um, but I think it was more about, um, I, I mean, I think he liked the general direction of it. So I guess that's why we did what we did, but, um, but yeah, that's why there's two different versions. Yeah. And of course the, the next record is the one that, uh, caused a lot of controversy when it came out, the Shadow Life <laughs> yeah. record. And right. I've often wondered, like, is that the band trying something new or is it the record label saying, look, you no, pushing you somewhere? That was, that, was, that was totally the band. Uh, no, the record label wasn't very happy either. Um, <laughs> they wanted it just a straight, I mean, if anybody's going to want a straight out and out docking record, it's going to be CMC in the mid nineties. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, true. So, so for us to take such a left turn, now that was the band. Um, it was the band feeling like, you know, feeling irrelevant. I think that was part of it is we felt like, wow, things have changed so much in rock. You know, we have to be relevant and, you know, we have to change our sound. You know, there was, there was that pressure, which, you know, that, boy, that's dangerous when you get into that territory. But, but at the same time, we were trying to keep current and, you know, I, I can understand that. I mean, I, I like to keep current anyways myself as it is, but, you know, we, we really, really overdid it in changing the formula of the band. We really did. I mean, that's, that shouldn't have been called Doc and that should have been called something else. You know? Yeah, I think, um, I think it has some good songs on it. I just think that there's no up-tempo tracks on it. Well, there's that and there's the fact that it was, yeah, it was, and, and it, you know, part of it is it got sidelined in the middle and, and, you know, and there was a point when, especially Dom was like, wait a minute, this ain't right, you know, and he was kind of freaking out. And so I think then, then it became lukewarm. Then it wasn't, it wasn't one way or the other. It started off more as a, a modern, a more modern rock record. Um, and then it kind of got diluted into something else. And so there was lack of direction. There was last, lack of cohesion. Um, and the band was just a mess at that point. I mean, George was not that excited about the band at that point. You know, that was, that was the only way George could stay excited at that point was to try something different. And I, you know, I, I understand that, but, um, then it just, you know, it just fell apart. It just, as, as often happens with Dokken where there's just not, there's just not enough common, uh, focus 
between everybody. You know, that was that was that was a major problem, and and that's you know that was when that really peaked out. Yeah. So when George left, who was on the list of guitar players that you were looking for? Well, I think everybody. Well, you know, what's odd is that I did bring in John Levin uh, to to record. We did, we did some demo stuff with John Levin, uh, and. And you know, because I knew how well how much he played like George, um, and uh, but Don didn't think he was right. And then when we got a hold of Reb Beach, it became became a no brainer because Reb is so great, and I just loved having Reb in the band. And I, I mean, I, I just think the world of Reb. So, yeah. um, and you know, the chemistry with him was great. Uh, so once. I, I forget. I, I honestly forget how that whole connection even came about. But whenever once it happened, it was it was a no brainer. It's funny, but we we did a career retrospective at Rev just before Christmas, and I asked him how he joined Dokken, and he couldn't remember either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he he said he it was the best time he ever had touring was with you guys. On, uh, on well, it was really fun. Yeah. Now that erase the slate record is excellent. Really, really yeah, well, solid so, album. Yeah, I, I felt pretty strong about it too. Yeah, and the, the, the track I love on that is actually the Japanese bonus track, Upon Your Lips. It's a great track. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's, there's some good stuff on that record. I, I really am... That was, that, was, that was a very inspired and fun fun time and record. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what Reb said too. And, and not because I'm just talking to you, but you know, he really raved about how fun that, that you were to work with and how beat, beat you were and, and everything else. And it was like, yeah, you're certainly describing Jeff, but he just, he said that it was an absolute blast working with you, that uh, it, it just made it fun to go to the studio every time you were there and stuff. Yeah, we, we had great chemistry. We really did. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I want to ask you just one question about the Angry Machines record, Jeff. Um, you have a song on that that's written solely by yourself on a Dio album, and I don't think that any other, anyone else has ever had a song that Ronnie hasn't right. been involved in the writing. How did, how did that get on the album? Because Ronnie heard... Um, actually, you know, it's funny. I don't think I remember... I had a bunch of songs that I was working on. I, when, when I was writing that, I was actually writing it for a progressive band that I had with Craig Goldie at the time. Um, and, uh, and Scott Warren, who's the keyboard player from Dio. So Craig and, and Scott and I, with a drummer by the name of Tim Pedersen, had, had this progressive band that we were doing on the side. And it got, it got shelved when, um, when Doc and got signed to Sony because John and made a condition that we had to get rid of all the side projects and all focus on knocking, which was very disappointing to me because I, you know, I, I'm too restless to just be one thing. <laughs> um, but, uh, but anyways, so I had this, a bunch of this material lying around, like a lot of it. And I, my memory seems to serve me that I was playing Ronnie something else. And I lent him a dat tape. And he came back and he had heard Stay Out of My Mind, that song. And apparently it was on the same tape. And he goes, what is that fucking song? And I said, you know, I learned blah, 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 blah. And he's like, that's fucking great. We got to do it. I said, really? Like, what do you want to do to it? You want to make a deal? And he was like, nothing. I love it the way it is. <laughs> and I was like, really? Lyrics? And he goes, yes. And I mean, I was floored. Absolutely wow. floored that he wanted to, but yeah, he, and and in fact, he sings it a lot like I had on the demo. I, I was shocked that Ronnie did that. I mean, there are parts of it that are different than my demo, of course, but um, but uh, 
it was just amazing. I mean, he he just he loved it, and and it was just him wanting to do something that he loved, which I thought, wow, that's awesome. Did you actually play that live at all? No. You never no. played it live, okay. No, because the only touring I did for Angry Machines was um, South America, and I don't even remember us playing anything from Angry Machines on the South America tour. Uh, I can't remember. Okay. I, 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 but I, I definitely don't even do that one, yeah. Okay. In 93, you did that, uh, the project with Craig Goldie, the uh, Insufficient Therapy album, where you were doing uh -huh. uh, lead vocals on that, right? For a few songs? I think so, yeah. <laughs> now we're going into Carmine territory. We talked, every time we talked to Carmine, he's like, uh, remind me what I did on that album again. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's a guy that's playing on more records than me, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Re Re Rev was the same, Jeff, when we talked to him. And like, I played on a lot of records, but boy, Carmine, oh my God. <laughs> Rev was the same. Like, he was like, what happened to that song? And I'd be able to tell him, and he'd be like, wow, you know, about my, you know more about my career than I do. And I played on everything. <laughs> yeah, so, of course, after the Erase the Slate album and, and the tour, I think the next thing you were involved in was getting back with George. Um, was that something that 
you know, did you, you always kept in touch with George, did you? And it just came together from there, or did it come? Well, come we we lost touch after 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 the um, after the uh, Shadow Life tour, but you know, George George technically got fired from Dokken, and you know, we had a, and there was a big lawsuit, and so we we didn't talk for a few years there. Um, but I'm trying to think how it. Um, I just all I remember is he just called one day and said, "Hey, man, it's been a long time." And I was like, "Yeah, you're right." And he goes. What do you think about trying to write? I said, let's do it. Um, and and then we got back together. And, you know, first we kind of hashed out everything that happened, you know, kind of went through everything. And and then it was exactly like, you know, we had never, like, things had never, you know, been separated at all. So, um, you know, our chemistry, we started right back in, and it was right there. Yeah, yeah, it's another solid record. That, that, that album is just absolutely front to back fantastic. And when that, when that came out, you know, having kind of the, the past history of the fast, you know, last few docking records where you weren't sure what you were going to get and then having you and George come back together. And it was first time I popped that on, it was just like, Oh my God, they're, they're back. Like this is the, you can, you know, really see that songwriting team just hitting on all gears on that one. It just, mm-hmm. it still to me remains one of my favorite records ever was that one. And every time I put that one on, wow. it just, it just makes me really happy listening to that one. Oh, thank you. Cause that, that was a very, inspired period and well that's really wonderful to hear and and you know he actually thinking about doing another lynch Tilson record someday instead you know before we do another cnn (laughs) 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 we want to call it lp and we're just going to do all nothing but initial bands (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, so jeff of course how do how does how do you get on mick jones radar to actually become a member and foreigner did, did he ever well, talk? Did he ever talk to you and say, "This is how I knew about you"? Like, I'm, was he was he familiar well, with? Well, no, because I I knew exactly how <laughs> I know exactly how that happened. Um, I had done the movie Rockstar with Jason Bonham, yes. and and uh, uh, we we did film that in two thousand, mm-hmm. and um, you know we we got along well. We had good chemistry musically, and and got along personally and everything. And he started working with Mick in two thousand four. And originally, I don't think they really knew exactly what it was going to be, if it was going to be a mixed solo album or what they were going to do. But Jason pretty much talked him into revamping Corner. And uh, before, I mean, very early on, you know, they called me up and there was a, a charity show in the summer of 2004 that uh, they were supposed to play up in Santa Barbara. So they asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said, of course. So we went in and rehearsed for a few days and just, clicked right away and and i got along great with mick right away musically and everything else and and so when he decided to revamp the band i mean you know they they just said are you interested and i said of course so yeah yeah i gotta say that kelly hansen is an inspired choice now i was a fan of hurricane And when I listen to the Hurricane albums now, I can't put him in Foreigner. But I <laughs> no, I know. Isn't that, isn't that bizarre? Yeah, he, I know. Well, he absolutely nails it. He is an incredible yeah, singer I now. I know. I know. I know. And he is the perfect fit. I mean, you could not find a better guy to be in the band. So, I, And I'm not so sure I would have heard that from Foreigner, uh, from Hurricane Records either. Yeah, so like you're incredibly busy now with Foreigner. You're always on the road. You've been in South America, or you've been in Australia, New Zealand. You're touring constantly, producing all the time. Um, you know, I got I got asked though one question about about the Foreigner, the set list. Um, 
there any particular tracks that you'd love to play in the back catalogue that you maybe haven't played a lot in the past? Well, one of my favorite tracks is called At War With The World from, I think it's the first record. Yeah. Uh, I love that song. We did play it a couple times in shows and it didn't get much of a response, I think is why we didn't continue to do it. We do have a recording of it somewhere, though, a live recording that's really strong of it. And uh, I just love that song. I always have loved that song, and playing it live was really cool. And I, I know that, and it was a while ago because Jason was in the band. Um, that's about the only one that I kind of feel that way about. I mean, there's a couple others, like Soul Doctor I love. Oh, yeah. We did try that a few times. Um, Oh, what's the other one? Oh, crap. I forget, I'm forgetting the name of it. Um, I can hear the music in my head. But anyways, um, yeah, there's a few songs, but as a rule, I think we pretty much play the important ones to play. Yeah. 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 I'm just wondering, if any, has anyone ever brought up playing that from Unusual Heat? <laughs> uh, not very often. Okay, because I, I, I think that record's really good, but that's just me. <laughs> isn't, isn't that the Johnny, Johnny yeah, Edwards one? Yeah, it's a good album. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I remember thinking it was a great album at the time. Um, but I don't, I, I think, you know, when you back that up or back, do that back to back with the other songs that are so well known, it's kind yeah. of hard to, yeah. to do yeah, that. It's, it's like, what do you leave out? Yeah. But it is interesting. Right. I mean, your your lineup in yeah. that band now is is so versatile and so strong that you know, for me, I look at that and go, "Wow, these guys could pull off anything." Because you know, you're doing a, a catalog that's got how many years, and, and you do all the stuff pretty damn flawlessly. And you know, when we saw you, it, it was really powerful too. It, it had all that energy and all of that as well. I mean, nothing yeah. nothing sounded old or tired. It all sounded really fresh, and it all went well together. Right. Well, that's that's what we're trying to do. So, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Jeff, like you, you've got the catalog that I think can go out with practically any band because the songs are there. Like you're going out with Kid Rock this summer, and I'm thinking you're going to go down a storm with them. You could go out with another band that you know that might sound different, and you have all the songs to back it up. And you, you know, you could go to download, and you could play and download with Slipknot. And yeah. I still think you'd mm -hmm. go down a, for a bomb over there. You know? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Leave out a ballad or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want any bottles being thrown at hey, we, we did Bang Your Head in Germany, uh, the Bang Your Head Festival in 2006, yeah. and I swear to God, it was the reaction was phenomenal. <laughs>
Excellent. Yeah. And that was that was a bunch of yeah, headbanging bands. So yeah, we can we can we can stand up to the big boys if we have to. Yeah, I mean <laughs> I mean it's hook after hook after hook, and and you right. just can't beat that. So uh, and I think a lot of people, even if they they pretend that you know, oh no, I don't, you know. They, I mean that's yeah. I mean that's what connects with your you know your musical soul sure. whether you like it or not absolutely the hooks absolutely. and melody you know you know better than they I'm talking yeah. to the pro here so yeah so know. so Jeff just before we leave you go um, how is Mick's health these days is he doing well he's good yeah he's doing quite well um, you know he's still not going to be touring all the time but mm-hmm. uh, he's going to do I would say he's going to do the whole Kid Rock tour and he's really looking forward to that so um, he's doing quite well uh, his health is great he's Excellent. taking good care of himself and. The doctors are excited. They just they just don't want him to overdo it. So there you go. Yeah. Awesome. So just one final question for me. I promise. Final question. <laughs> he does this all. The I time, does this you know? all the time. <laughs> what the favorite album you played on in the past? Do you have one? Favorite album that I played on. Yeah. Be it wow. talking, be it Dio, be it anything that you like. You actually wow. put it on and and listen to all of it. Hmm. Wow, that's a tough one. Um, I always leave a tough one to last. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I would probably say TNN right now just because it's somewhat fresh and I still feel, you know, I'm still kind of excited about that record um, as far as ones I did. Um, But, you know, if I gave it more thought, there would probably be something else that would, um, I don't know. I mean, I I also happen to think Cancel It Out is a great record. Yeah, I didn't write anything on that, but I think it's a great record. Okay. Um, But... uh, um, and you know, I'm, and of course, I'm excited about the the four and four and more record that we just came out with. I think that's a great sounding record, and I love the energy on that record. Yeah. I could definitely put that whole record on and listen to it and be excited. But as far as me doing all new material um, with Doc, and it would probably be the Tooth and Nail record would be the the one that I feel most excited about and would still have the fondest memories. I think those songs have dated themselves a little less than some of the songs on like. Some of the things on uh, Under Lock and Key and Back to the Attack can sound a little dated to me now. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tooth and Nail still can. There's a rawness about Tooth and Nail that sort of holds up and makes it makes it credible to this day. Yeah, I think it's that the band just coming together. They always say you're just catch lightning in a bottle in the beginning. That the chemistry. Was yeah. There. yeah, it was there. Yeah, and and it felt like that at the time, and and it still does when I listen to it now. Yeah. So you know, we definitely, obviously, you know, we're big fans pretty much love everything you do and I'm hoping at some time in the future that maybe you're able to work with Benedictum again as well I love the stuff you do with oh, them oh me too you know I think nobody captured their sound better than you did and I, I've even talked to V about that too and said you know I just really feel like everything that Jeff did with you guys it, it just I don't know there's just something about it and you know maybe I'm a little bit biased knowing that you were involved and stuff and I, I really like the sounds you get but I, I really do hope in the future you work with those guys again. yeah well I, me too because I, lo- I love I mean, V and Pete are some of my favorite people, and yeah. I love them musically and personally. And you know, if I would, you know, the problem is I'm just on the road so much <laughs> now. You know, because I, w- I would love to produce more. I really, really would. I, that's still a big, big, big passion for me. Yeah. Like I said, we, you know, look forward to everything else that you got coming out, and uh, you know, we we will obviously consume it in mass quantities here and. Uh, you know, hopefully we uh, we're able to catch you on the road sometime. Great. Well, we'll have to do when when Last in Line comes out. We're going to have to definitely do something together because uh, you're going. I just have a feeling you're going to absolutely love the record. I'm I'm so so jazzed about that record. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely, uh, definitely, we can put that one on the books. That we'll definitely want to to do something with you on that. Absolutely, I just. 
sight on or even hearing unseen, if you, if you will. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, listen, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, and um, talk to you soon. All yeah. right, Thanks, guys. Take care. Later. Okay. Bye. All right, Metalheads. That is the end of episode 250 of Focus on Metal. Hopefully, you enjoyed our career retrospective with the one and only Jeff Pilson. Truly awesome, awesome guy. We've sat down with him in person at a venue before, and just the guy you hear coming across on the phone is the same great guy you hear at the venue as well. Just a super upbeat guy, lots of fun, and he's always a great guy to talk to. So it was really nice to have him on and talk about his whole career with us. So possibly next week, if all the stars align and shit comes together, then next week, episode 251 will be the long-awaited, much-requested next installment of our Saxon series. That would encompass the next three Saxon studio albums. So we're talking talking metalhead we're talking unleash the beast and killing ground so again if everything aligns that's what you're going to hear here next week if not then probably what's on tap next week will be another installment of our little mountain sound series and i mean crap it's already september and we still have a whole bunch of episodes to go with that one so i gotta be able to fit them in between now and december to at least make it an official 2015 project so again, hope you guys enjoyed this week and look forward to uh, giving you a great show again next week. In the meantime, you can keep up with us on Facebook, on Twitter. You can head over to our main website, focusonmetal.net, and find all of the episodes up there with streaming links and also links to all of our other social media stuff. And of course, you can go up to focusonmetal.blogspot.com. That's where we kind of kick out news from the labels and bands got a whole big page up there about all these great tour posters you can peruse that and see all that good stuff got an interview up there that our buddies over at wiki metal did with uh, metallica so that's a great thing to look at there as well and of course we do all the show announcements there so you can get the episode show notes and links and videos and all that that again is up at focusonmetal.blogspot.com so again, thank you, Jeff Pilson, for taking a shitload of time to talk to us about your whole career, front to back. And of course, thanks to you guys out there listening and supporting us and keeping this puppy going. Richie and I really appreciate that. And hopefully we're continuing to put out the shows that you want to hear. So with that, for Richie, for myself, for everybody else here at Focus on Metal, as usual, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember...